defeated, dear friends. You and I are familiar with uh, living in a place where you don't have to drive more than a couple of miles to find a church, right? Where you can turn on your radio and probably there's two or three or four Christian radio stations you could listen to. Where very easily you could have delivered to your home uh, Christian magazines. Uh, you probably have three or four or five copies of the Bible in your home. But what is it like to grow up in a place where the name of Jesus is not mentioned? Where nobody you know is a Christian? Where there is no church as far as you know anywhere? That's where my friend grew up. Uh, you'll not know the nation or the city in which he lives for his own protection. Uh, we'll just call him VJ, Victory in Jesus, because his life has been changed by his encounter with Jesus. Mm. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Born to a family of a Communist Party leader and a railway communications worker. And we never, ever talked about God at home. But someone took interest in me someone stepped down into my life and explained who Jesus is and what he has done and how can I be with him for the rest of my life and that is amazing that the God of the universe who created stars of the heaven who created DNA of our body would take genuine interest in you and me and welcome us into his presence and send us out as a bearers of his image into the world. So how do we bring this message into this world, especially to the people that are not like us? How do we reach people who are different from us. Well, first of all, I want you to know that I will give you three things that you can start using today. And these are three simple words. And let's say them together. They're on the screen. And you see learner, servant, and storyteller. And let's say that together. Learner, servant, Storyteller. Let's say that again. Learner, servant, storyteller. Jesus was a learner. He came into this world as a baby and he had to learn the language of the people. He had to learn the profession that his father was in, carpentry. And he had to learn how to communicate the message that God has sent him with to the people of Israel. Jesus was a learner. I want to be a learner. But the problem with learning is that I am ignorant and I am arrogant. And I think that I know. But there is so much that I do not know and the way to learn is, number one, humility. The road of humility is the road of learning. You have to say, I just don't know. I don't know these people. I don't know where they're from. I don't know what they think. I don't know what their values are. I really do not know. And that's humbling. 
But I have good news. Jesus humbled himself, took on flesh, became one of us, went to the cross. And because of that, I, you and I, can be in the presence of God. And that is a life-changing thing. You will never ever reach anybody for Jesus Christ by burning their book, by bashing them, by hating them. But with humility, you become a learner. You ask questions. Who are you? This is the second thing you, you, you do be becoming a learner. Ask questions. Don't become a person who is afraid to ask questions. You know, I always tell to my brothers, what is the worst question that you have? The one you don't ask. Don't be afraid to ask questions. But the problem with me is that I ask the wrong questions. I ask, what is it for me? But it's amazing how we can go today on the internet and ask any question we like, but we just ask the wrong questions. So I would challenge you and I would encourage you to meet people and to ask them questions. I remember one day we walked into a restaurant and it was uh, a Palestinian restaurant. And I've learned that they are from there and it was amazing how they responded to just one question and one word, and the word was blessing. And you should have seen that. They started to run around, and they baked the bread and gave us a free dessert. Just getting to know these people was a blessing to them. Someone took interest in these people. Someone took interest in me, and someone took interest in you. Genuine interest. The heart of Jesus is genuine. And that's why he is interested in all of the details of our lives and the lives of people who do not yet know him. The third thing you do to becoming a learner, you go on the road of humility, you ask questions, and then you listen. You listen. God has given us two ears and one mouth. But the problem with me is that when I ask questions, I prepare to give my answers instead of listening. Do I care? Do I listen? Do I want to know the pain of these people? Do I want to know the hurt of these people? Do I want to know their life? Jesus stopped and asked questions. Not because he didn't know about the person. He did, know, uh, he did not have a need to ask questions. He knew exactly what was in the heart of a person. But we do. So it takes humility. It takes asking questions. And it takes listening. So let's start today. Let's ask God, who can I learn from? What is it that I do not know? The second way you reach people who you don't know is become a servant. 
DJ, excuse me one second. I've been listening so carefully, and then I heard a little voice, and I realized I didn't dismiss the children, did I? I've been so that's intent right, on listening right, to you, brother, right, so let me right. dismiss the yes, children. Please yes, forgive good, me for that's interrupting. Good, that's good. I'm that's so good. sorry. Uh, they were so well-behaved, weren't they? Let's praise God for our little children. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're, we're learners, and we're good listeners. Yeah. Now what's good. the next one? What did he Sir. say? What's the second one? Servant. Teach yes, us how to be good you. servants. Thank you. Wow. And may God bless the ones who serve these children. Yes. So Jesus came and he served. And the ultimate example that we have in the Bible is him getting on his knees and washing the feet of the disciples. You never serve a person by dominating him. You lift them up. And the way to lift them up, to build into someone's life, is to serve them, is to go there and to be with them. The ministry of presence is a valid ministry. The ministry of helps is a valid ministry. When someone has pain and you help them in their pain, is servant attitude. When someone needs an umbrella to hold over them, you are there to serve. I remember one day uh, a phone call came and it was 3 o'clock in the morning. And that's one of these you remember for the rest of your life. And it was my mentor who poured out his life into my life for 10 years. And this man had five degrees from Harvard. And he has 23 years of pastoral ministry. And his wife was attacked with a hatchet. And her head was broken. And she was almost dead. And they had to be evacuated to Europe to care for her. And this man, instead of, instead of having pity on himself, he would call me every day and he would ask me how I was. Jesus was a servant. I want to be a servant. This is the most powerful weapon that we have in our hands. The love of Jesus is the, and the example of Jesus. And as we get to know people, we find out their needs and we can serve them. And we can engage their world. We can connect with them. And that's how we reach them, becoming a servant of these people. He who wants to be great needs to become a servant of all. And the reward of the servant is a glorious, glorious reward because Jesus was a servant. And even if you give a glass of water to someone, Jesus appreciates that. If you visit someone in the hospital, Jesus appreciates that. If you give some, someone clothing, Jesus appreciates that. Food. If you give someone food, Jesus appreciates that. S find simple ways to become a servant. So what is the third thing? The first, you become a learner. Second, you become a servant. And third, you become a storyteller. 
as you build this relationship, as you gain trust, people will ask you, who are you? And why exactly are you doing this? And that is the time when you can share your story with people. Where do we get the inspiration to share our stories? I get my inspiration from Jesus. Jesus was a learner. Jesus was a servant. Jesus was a storyteller. He used stories to communicate with people. And that is amazing because we are living in the 21st century and the media uses stories to communicate ideas to us 24-7. And Jesus used this in the first century. Our Lord is creative. And He has created us. And all of us have a story. So why is it important to share our story? First of all, because it's God's story. Second of all, because our story is unique. And third of all, it's undeniable. We're not pushing it. We're sharing our story. Jesus was a storyteller. Are you a storyteller? I love to share my story. Let me do this. An 11-year-old girl in Kentucky sent me a letter. And she explained the gospel to me, and she sent the Bible. She was just 11 years old girl. And she collected money on stamps, and she sent these envelopes with letters. That was before Google. Six weeks, one way. Six weeks back so we would get like four letters a year and she would she would pray for me and she would be faithful in this small thing but then god was working behind the scenes i had all these questions in my mind who am i what is the meaning of life is there god what is he like what happens when you die she sent me the bible and at the back of this edition of the Bible was a section called Dialogue, Questions of Unbelievers Answered. So guess what the questions were? Who are you? What is the meaning of life? Is there God? What is He like? What happens when you die? So it took me three days to process it, and I prayed a simple prayer, but there was no thunder, no lightning, no nothing. But my attitude towards my father and mother started to change. The two hardest words that uh, were not in my vocabulary were thank you and forgive me. And I could say, Father, forgive me for treating you badly. And Mom, thank you for keeping me alive. So my life was transformed. We became uh, a different family because of this 11-year-old girl. My communist mom sent my sister on a mission to get me out of the sect, cult, quote-unquote, and then my sister was saved. And then I sent her on a mission to my mom. And then my mom thinks, this is crazy. I need to go myself to get these crazy guys out of the sect. And then she was saved. And then I, sent, I hugged her and I sent her on a mission to my dad. So my dad was a serious guy, read theological books that I had, and he said, son, I respect you, but I'm not ready. That's the thing 
for a lot of people. They know it in their heads, but they don't have it in their hearts. So let's be the people who have the gospel in our hearts and be able to share our stories and to be able to learn from this 11-year-old girl. And here are the lessons. If you think that you're too old, too young, too far away, too close, too uneducated, too educated, too poor, too rich, God can use you if you're willing. The second lesson from this 11-year-old girl is don't despise the small beginnings. You don't know who you will reach, but their life and the life of their families and the life of their country will be transformed as you are faithful in what God has called you to do. So starting today, let's use these three simple tools, learner, servant, and storyteller to reach the people who we don't know, but who we will know and influence for Jesus Christ. And may God bless you in that. Amen. Thank you. My friend Vijay has opened the door for us to have no excuses. And this could be somebody across the street. It could be your in-laws, your outlaws. <laughs> Some of you have outlaws on the street near you. And uh, this is something we can take and be practical. But we want to move it more foundationally before the conference to how to reach 1.3 million people, the, bill, the Muslim world. And I want to suggest that there's four kinds of people sitting here today that have to think this through. The first kind relates to Jonah. You're the kind of person that really doesn't care about Muslims, don't want to be involved, thank you very much. In fact, you'd just as soon get on a boat and go the other way and get away from them, except you're already there. <laughs> you're in Walworth County. And you're about as far away and safe from Muslims as we can get in most of our culture. I want to tell you about my friend Ibrahim, who was a Coptic Christian, and you know, even in the news this week, the Coptics and the Muslims of Egypt have been fighting for 1,300 years, and this week, 25 cops were killed. Coptics, not policemen, cops. And this is what Ibrahim told me. He said, as a young man, I was told as a Coptic Christian, quote, in Egypt, not to bother telling Muslims about Jesus because they are the cordwood for the fire of hell. In other words, he was saying, I was taught Muslims go to hell. Literally, not, I don't mean to be, you know, literally, that's what he was taught. And in a congregations like us, there's going to be somebody sitting here that feels a lot like Jonah and a lot like Ibrahim that says, I've got a family relative, I've got a friend, I've got an uncle, I've got a cousin, a brother that have been shot, killed, Twin Towers, Afghanistan, Iraq. I see the news, and in my heart of hearts, I don't say it at church, I'm not free to say it in my heart, but in all honesty, in my heart, I'm saying, I don't want anything to do with them. In fact, go to hell. That is not what we sang this morning. We said, mold me, make me, turn me into what you are, God. You are the potter. God's heart says, I care. In fact, as unbelievably radical as it is, he loves the most radical Muslim as well as he loves your favorite grandchild. 
He's dearly committed to them. He loves equally the sinner that's living that life out in the most evil forms and the sweet little child who still doesn't know the Lord, the people that are sitting in this room. He loves us equally. And yes, I know it's not fair, (laughs) but that's how God is. He's not fair. He's gracious. And if you're sitting here today and you're saying, God, I really don't care about them, you tell God that because he's not going to get intimidated or be afraid of your ideas. He already knows them. But you're going to have to say, Lord, there's something wrong there and only you can change my heart and change my mind and turn me around. And I am at least willing to be willing. I mean, be honest with the Lord. Tell him he's not going to be intimidated and it's fine to tell him. And go to him and say, okay, Lord, what's going to change? If you're that hard, that's fine with God. Jonah, he turned around, didn't he? (laughs) It cost some people some frightening moments. But Jonah went, oh, by the way, when he got there, he was mad about it. You know, okay, Lord, you saved him. Can you imagine your prayer letters? (laughs) Guess what? You prayed and these people got saved. (laughs) What a bummer. I am so upset. I need to go to counseling. I'm getting depressed. I got saved. That's what Jonah did. (laughs) But God said, they're my people. In fact, he said, I care about them. I'm concerned about them. And I want them to know. That's what he's saying to us about the Muslim world. Number two, there's a group of us here that really we're willing, uh, but we really don't have contact. And, and, that, and that's fine. I mean, you, you, you are where you are. Some of us are older and, and have a very limited world, and we live in a place without a lot of Muslims. That's fine. If you don't have contact, I'm going to suggest three things. Number one, prepare. Get a book. Read. Look. Think. What would I do if? Because maybe you're going to end up somewhere where they're there, a nursing home. Maybe you're going to be at the grocery store. Maybe you're going to be in a place that you don't expect. It may be on a holiday. And all of a sudden, the people in the room next to you, the people that you're around, actually are Muslim. If you don't have contact... Be ready to let God use you. Maybe you're going to write a letter to somebody in a far-off country. I don't know. If you don't have contact, you can pray. Pick a country, and if you go to the the, uh, gymnasium, uh, VJ uh, is going to be there, Victory's going to be there, and and you can buy a a souvenir from his country, and you can take it home and say, okay, I'm going to pray for that country, and I'll even learn how to say it and where it is on the map. I'll have a geographical test with my fifth grader, and they'll win, and we'll both know where it is, and we'll pray for that. No contact, and be willing. Just say, okay, God, I'm willing. I don't have contact, but I'm willing to be ready as you direct from where I am. I'm not ready to go anywhere, and uh, people aren't coming to see me necessarily, but I'm willing. Number three, there's a group of you that have possible contacts. You go to work, and there's people that are there. They presented a, a, a cry to reach out to Muslims in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Everybody told me there, there's no Muslims here. Five people came up to me and said, oh, yeah, there are. There's a whole group of them working at the cardiac center. And I worked there as a reception. I worked there as a nurse. I go there. <laughs> and all of a sudden, in a, in a community that thought they had no contact, there wasn't much, but there was a place. And they said, okay, I'll speak. I'll ask. I'll become a learner. I'll become a servant. I'll become a storyteller. Maybe, maybe it's at school. Maybe your children, your grandchildren, you're going to college, and all of a sudden you say, there's somebody there, and, and they're different, and they dress different, and it's not Spanish, and it's somebody I don't know, and you move toward them, and you find out your willingness. 
You say, well, I don't have much contact, but you know you're going to be in a Kmart, you're going to be in a Target, you're going to be in a Walmart, and there's going to be a lady sitting there looking at some food trying to figure out what this thing is called a pickle. Ever tried to buy pickle seeds? <laughs> you can't buy pickle seeds. What's a pickle? You, well, you can't buy them in the vegetable store. Some parts of the world pickle cauliflower and pickle things, and they understand pickle something, but what's a pickle? And she may be looking there saying, what is this stuff? And all you need to do, lady to lady, man to man, walk up and say, can I help you? That's being a servant. That's the umbrella. When they don't know, it is hard. You go to the driver's license place and you see somebody fumbling with a form. Often in an airplane, when we travel internationally, we'll be sitting next to somebody that says, help me with this form. It's a visa entry form and I have no idea what this says. I don't have any English. And we sit there and we mumble through and they give you your passport and you fill out the number. That's just the beginning. That's breaking the hurdles. That's saying, I care about you. Many, many Muslims today expect you to hate them. The fact that you're even willing to help them starts to break down barriers. By the way, some of you are going to be involuntary contacts. <laughs> you're going to be put somewhere next to somebody at a work site. Some of you are going to be moved economically to take jobs in part of the world where you never thought you'd lived. You would live, but because that's the only place you could find a job, you or a member of your family end up in a country that's predominantly Muslim, and all of a sudden you're exposed. That's involuntary missions. God used that all over. He used it with Cappadocian slaves that went to Rome. He used it with um, um, slaves from, from Europe that were, that, that were taken by the Vikings, uh, not Minnesota, the real ones. Um, and, and they, they were... They, started to evangelize and Christianize the Scandinavian pagans called Vikings, and they were slave women. St. Patrick, the only missionary that we celebrate as a country on St. Patrick's Day, was taken as a young boy from the coast of Britain into Ireland. He got saved. He followed God. He escaped from the uh, 10 years, 8 years as a shepherd slave boy. God got a hold of him, and he went back to Ireland as a quote-unquote missionary. That's involuntary, that's voluntary, but often it's involuntary. That contact, are you ready? Are you willing to be willing to let God use you in that? Is there some place you can write? Is there someone you can talk to on the computer? Is there a prayer list, a person, a list that you could write somebody in far off what a stand? And then finally, I w we believe that somewhere in this congregation, there's somebody that has an intentional calling for God in their life. Let me tell you what a mission calling is. It's, it's sort of four steps. Number one, it's God's idea, not your idea. Often when God wants you to do something, there's that moment that says, God, one of us are crazy, and it's not you. <laughs> this is unbelievable. You want me to what? You want me to go to Uganda and start a camp where there's never been a camp? You want me to be a leader of what? You want me to go talk to that? You want me to start an English class in my community? God, you got to be kidding me. And he just says, no, not really. I really love to take the humble. I love to take the weak because then you're going to be strong in me. I love to take people that are willing and turn them into something they never thought they could be for my glory. And when God gives you that idea, that's from him, there's going to be a moment of craziness, and then there's going to be that moment that says, only if you make it happen, Lord. <laughs> only if you want me to do it will I do it. That's the first step of calling. The second one is that there's no emotional, psychological, mental, physical handicaps that will prevent us from going. Now, 
They used to say at 30 years old you couldn't go overseas because you couldn't learn a language. That's not true anymore. There's no limit mentally on learning a language. It's probably an attitude check, but you can learn a language. And if you can't learn a language, you can go. I met a family in Azerbaijan in a city called Ganja who's a family sent out from a church like this in Indianapolis, and they have a daughter that's highly handicapped with cerebral palsy. And they are sitting in the middle, I mean, from this city, you only can go somewhere else. I mean, there's nowhere else to go. It's the end of the road. And yet they're having a ministry both to people that they expected to and to people because they have a handicapped daughter. And all of a sudden, people are saying, how do you do that? And why are you here with her? Because in our society, we hide those people. We put them away and we ignore them. And you're bringing her here and you're ministering. And it's amazing what they can do. Sometimes those handicaps keep us from going, but that's that's God's business. There was a mission movement in the early turn of the century called the Christian Missionary Alliance and a guy named Simpson. And Sophie, who was a scrub lady in the stairways of New York City, came to him and said, I want to be a missionary. And Simpson said, well, Sophie, you're too old. You can't learn the language again. And you got kids, but I'll tell you what you do. You just work where you are and expect God to use you. 1919, Simpson died. People from all over the New York and the movement came to his funeral. A year later, Sophie died, and there were more people at Sophie's funeral from more places in the world at her funeral than there were at Simpson's funeral because as she scrubbed, she told. She was a learner. She was a storyteller, and she shared the gospel day by day with people that worked beside her. There's no limitations, many limitations um, we put on ourselves. God calls us and he uses our strengths, and he uses our weaknesses. The handicaps are there. Number three, if you're called of God, there's going to be a confirmation from within this body. The people in this room are going to say, great idea, are going to say, you, no, 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 no. One church I went to, I got to debrief a team. It was a madrigal musical group going to Russia. They went to Russia and came back, and I got a chance to meet with them. And I said, Write down anybody that you think was really good and maybe ought to consider going overseas again. They really related. They connected with the people. And people wrote down two or three names. And then I said, write somebody that you don't think should ever go overseas again. Out of the eight, I got seven. <laughs> seven people wrote the same name. Uh, you know, this guy really couldn't adjust. He couldn't handle the change, the flexibility, the ambiguity, the, the, all the differences. Praise God. You know, that's fine. You know what? The church would confirm that. You know if that person even has anything to offer here, much less there. You know if that person looks like somebody that should serve. That's, that's what a church is, to evaluate and to look at and to, to be the, the, the place where people grow. And you know that. And before a person goes, you get to say, in essence, as a church, yeah, that person would be really good, or that person maybe needs to stay home and grow a little more and mature a little more. Finally, if it's God's idea... He's going to do it. He's going to provide for that. It's his idea. There's no handicaps. There's no limitations. And it's confirmed by the body of Christ. And circumstances allow it to go. Circumstances change. By the way, in the world that I live in, working with people working in the Muslim world, the occupational hazards for missionaries today is chronic transition. They get changed and moved and kicked out of countries. I know missionaries that have been two and three different countries. Seven years, three countries. The kids don't even know which language they are. Sometimes they don't know where they are. <laughs> and there's chronic transition and fear of being kicked out and moving. That's hard to live with. 
but God takes care of them. And sometimes we have to nurture them when they come home. Most part of our ministry is going to be walking them through the adjustments of coming home. And it's hard when you have a good time, ask Garth and Rachel, and a good ministry, and you come back to a good place, but what if it's been a hard time in a difficult setting and you don't even know where home is? That's hard. And that's where we have to minister. So here's my call. How are we going to reach the Muslim world? Through you, through your prayers, through your cares, through your 11-year-old letters and your 71-year-old letters. Don't stop. (laughs) The Google, whatever it is. Number one, you're going to have to say, I'm willing to care. Number two, I'm willing to do something. I'm willing to pray. And Lord, here I am. I want to be a learner, a servant, and a storyteller. Amen. Thank you, David. When you look at the picture on the screen, what comes into your heart and mind? Jesus said, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. He said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. I want us to watch something as we close our time this morning that will propel us out into this week with, I hope, a new understanding of the people that we've been focusing on this weekend. 